Good morning and welcome to worship. Before we get going into our service, let me announce two things. The first is that our youth are meeting after the evening worship service um, at the Brownleys. We're thankful for them hosting, providing dinner for us. Secondly, you'll see in the back of your bulletin an announcement about a trip to Silver City to help build sheds for that town and the families there who lost their homes to the tornado back in March. You might have seen my post on Facebook. You might have heard about this. And you might have thought, that is great. I'm glad people are doing that. Well, we actually need you to do it. Uh, We actually need people to come and be a part of this team. So if you are free and you have some time on Saturday, June 3rd, please contact me. Um, It would be great. We don't need a lot of people. We just need a few. And I say that because we still need a few. So if you can, that would be great. Um, It will be very helpful, and it will show people the gospel just in our acts of mercy and love. Um, So please get in touch with me if you are possibly interested in that, and I'll give you more information. Jesus has brought us here by the power of his Spirit to worship him, and so let's take a few moments to prepare our hearts to do that, to worship God. Let's ask him to do that now. Good morning. We welcome those of you who are visiting with us today. Would you please rise, congregation, and let us hear the call to worship from Isaiah 61. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. 
For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. If you will, take your hymnals now and turn to number 17. Let us worship the Lord with God of our fathers. Let us remain standing as we go to our Lord. Our gracious God and Father today, as you call us to worship you, we are reminded in Isaiah of the great salvation you have freely given us, of the righteousness of Christ that you have covered us with. We will see today in the sacrament the great price that was paid to provide this for us. We will hear in your word from your servant, what you suffered 
we look forward to the day when we will see you face to face and when we will be fully comforted and satisfied in you. Now we pray. Meet us by and through your Holy Spirit in our praise, prayers, giving, and the hearing of your word and the sharing of your sacrament. May it all give you glory and through it Bless us, your people. And now, hear us as we pray the words our Lord taught us to pray. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now, using the Apostles' Creed, let us confess the faith that we hold. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Would you join me in a moment of prayer? And I'm going to uh, begin with a portion of one of the Psalms. So would you please bow your heads and join me in prayer? God, we read from your word where it says, Blessed be the Lord. My rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. Lord, we thank you for your servant David and his faith for writing this psalm, and we know that these words ultimately are from you. The war and the battles that you fought and are fighting today are not of flesh and blood, but are spiritual. Lord, you are at war against the sin that clings so closely to each one of us. You are at war against the devil and his armies, and you will be victorious. Dear Father, it's the weekend in our nation. We remember and honor the individuals and families who have either died in the service of their country or have lost a loved one serving in the military. We're reminded of your word in which you've said that there's no greater love than one laying down his life for his friends. And so we are grateful, we are thankful for so many people who have given up their life for the people in this country. 
most of whom had to wrestle with the fact that there would be people back home who did not welcome them back for their service. Lord, as we remember the brave men and women who have served and died for this country so that we could enjoy peace, we're reminded that you have called each one of us, each one of your people, into your service, Jesus. We read in Ephesians, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we pray, Lord, help us. Help us to be strong, not in ourselves or in our country, but to be strong in you and your might so that we can stand in the day of trouble and temptation. Jesus, we pray that you would help us to be strong in moments when we're tempted to lash out in anger and pride. Would you help us to remember our humble estate that we are but a shadow, and yet you have given us all glory and righteousness because you love us. Help us to love others, to stand firm in that love, and to trample the devil and his schemes under our feet by your Spirit's power. We love you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Would you rule in our hearts and give us courage to follow you boldly today and this week? Lord, we are thankful for this church and this time of worship. Would you continue leading with great power by your Spirit? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Please pray with me. God, we give you these tithes and offerings. Uh, as, we, as you have given to us, we give back to you. We thank you for pursuing us in love, forgiving us, showing us your grace and your mercy. Would you make use of these tithes and offerings for your glory, for your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would remain standing, we'll continue worshiping together with hymn 630, which is Eternal Father Strong to Save. Let's sing hymn 630. You may be seated. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 27. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. As we have made our way through the Gospel of Mark over the past few months, we are now at the part of Mark where everything starts to go towards Jerusalem. 
Jesus was traveling around into Gentile lands, Jewish lands, and now he has one destination, which is the cross in Jerusalem. So I'll read our passage, and then I'll pray for the message. Let's read. This is God's Word, Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it, is, after it has come with power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for a moment. Lord, in this brief moment, would you speak clearly to us? Would you anoint the words of my mouth with your spirit's power? Would you fill our hearts with the gospel this morning, especially as we prepare to enjoy and participate in the table that you've set for us? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As we move briskly through this, I want to go through three things. And these are those three things. First, that the Messiah must suffer. The second is, that, is why the Messiah must suffer. And the third is following the suffering Messiah. So the first point is the Messiah must suffer. If you look at our passage, Jesus asks the disciples two questions. He says, first, who do people say that I am? The only people up to this point in the Gospel of Mark who recognize who Jesus is as the Messiah are demons and God himself. That's it. So the disciples say, most people say that he's a prophet. Some say he's John the Baptist reincarnated. Others say that he's Elijah. If you know the end of the Old Testament, there is a prophecy that before the Messiah would come, Elijah would prepare the way. Today, if you ask people who Jesus was, you'll get sort of the same answers. He was a good teacher. Uh, he was wise. 
Perhaps you'll hear people say he was misinformed or he was crazy. Or you might hear that he was inclusive and very loving. You'll hear many different answers. In our passage then, Jesus then asks his disciples, but who do you say I am? Who do you, the people who have been walking with me over these many miles and days and months, who do you say that I am? And Peter says and confesses that Jesus is the Christ. It's a monumental confession. Jesus is the Christ. And Christ, again, is the translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word for Messiah. And it means, this word, to anoint. So it means to be the anointed one, the one that God chose to save his people. In the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed. They were the anointed ones. And Jesus amazingly combines all three of these offices into himself. He is prophet, priest, and king. He is the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that God promised. But interestingly, when Peter says, you are the Christ, Peter knows that one thing is true, but he doesn't really understand what he's saying or how Jesus is the Christ. He knows that Jesus is the one sent by God to save his people, but he doesn't have the full picture. Peter clearly does not understand the suffering and dying and rising on the third day parts of what Jesus has taught them. And it's not just that Jesus will suffer. Jesus doesn't say, I predict and I tell you that I am going to suffer. He says, I must suffer. Jesus has to suffer. People again, many people who may not be Christian and would say that Jesus suffered, died on the cross to show us that he loved us. But they won't go further than that. They won't go deeper than that. It's true, but if you don't go further, you'll miss everything about Jesus and why he came. In our passage, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, and this comes up a lot in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus referring to himself as Son of Man. We get that from, Jan- from Daniel chapter 7, which says that, Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This son of man that Jesus tells his disciples is who he is must suffer. The Messiah that the disciples and perhaps Peter wanted and thought was coming is someone who would conquer their enemies, who would subdue the earthly kingdoms and set up a throne in Jerusalem. It's interesting, I think, today in the the sort of Christian discourse or conversations around how Christians are to relate with non-Christians or the world and society and culture around them, in those conversations there are arguments about whether Christians ought to be more forceful or more gentle, whether that Christians need to make a stand and even perhaps hurt people's feelings or 
something of that nature. To build walls around our doctrine and our churches or to build bridges. You'll see people talking about this if you look closely. But if Jesus came to suffer, this changes the conversation a little bit. If Jesus must suffer, it changes the conversation because Jesus built walls and he built bridges. He's the king who gave up his life rather than take life. He gave up power in order to give power to the powerless. God's kindness and patience, Paul says in Romans 2, is meant to lead us to repentance. Kindness and patience don't get a lot of mileage today in the general conversation about these things in the Christian life. Peter certainly didn't have these at the time. He wasn't a man of kindness and patience. He misunderstood Jesus as well. Peter's Messiah would have a sword, and as many of you know, Peter would eventually defend Jesus with a sword. But he, So he wrongly understood the Messiah. Peter wrongly understood why Jesus came to earth and what it means to follow Jesus. And so that's why Jesus says, be silent. This command to silence is Jesus' way of helping people see who he really is. He is shaping his identity to those who hear about him and see him and are around him. So why must the Messiah suffer? Why the Messiah must suffer? Why does Jesus need to suffer and die and rise from the dead? Well, the Bible says, first and foremost, because he loves you, because he loves his people. He doesn't need us. God doesn't need our praise. He doesn't need our worship. He has all love and relationship within himself. He does not need us. And so when he says he loves you and he loves me, he really means that with no strings attached. He doesn't need us. And yet he loves us. He loves us very much. And out of that love, he must suffer because there's a debt we must pay for our sin. There is a debt we must pay for our sin. I want to explain that for a moment. When someone wrongs you, there's a debt that has to be paid by one of you. There's a debt that must be paid by someone. If someone hits your car... They either pay the $2,000 to repair it or however much it's going to cost. Or you forgive them and fix it yourself. Or you drive around with a broken car or a damaged car. Either they pay or you absorb the cost, so to speak. You might have seen this video on the internet this past week. Uh, I just assume if I've seen a video, then... A hundred million people have probably seen this video too. Uh, it's a video of a dad teaching his son to drive. It's his first lesson in the car. And he's sitting next to his son in the front seat. And as soon as the son hits the gas, he literally crashes the car into a tree or something. You don't even see what it is. He crashes the car immediately. And my first thought, and everyone's first thought, is how is the, the father going to react? What's he going to do? Like, he can't even 
believe that this is happening, that this could happen so quickly even. And what's amazing about the video is that the dad is calm. He sits there and he turns to his son and just says, it's okay. It's okay. Everything is going to be okay. And he really means it. The father absorbs the debt. He takes on the consequences of his son's driving on himself. The dad, of course, will now have to file an insurance report and deal with all the financial things that come with crashing a car. But he'll pay the debt. Someone has to pay the debt, and he lovingly takes it from his son. He takes it from his son immediately. The dad could have made his son pay the debt in countless ways. He could have made his son work to pay off the repairs. He could have made him pay emotionally. He could have made him pay by shaming him, by yelling at him, taking his anger out on him. But this, as we know, doesn't resolve the debt when someone has wronged us. It just multiplies the pain. We know this in our relationships. The dad chose to forgive and absorb the debt. It's always harder to forgive. There is always suffering for the one who forgives. As Tim Keller said, true, true forgiveness always entails suffering. Whether it's we're forgiving someone for something small or large, it is hard to forgive. So why must Jesus suffer? Because either we pay for our sin against God or he pays. Our sin against God is like a debt. Someone has to pay. When we sin against God, when we sin against the eternal God of the universe, we're standing in front of him in defiance. We're saying our way is better than your way. The consequences of sin against an eternal God is eternal separation from God. But if you trust Jesus, he absorbs the debt. He pays the price. And why would he do this? Why would Jesus love us like this? Because he loves you. He loves us. Forgiveness always means suffering for the one who forgives. And God is both, on the one hand, perfectly just. No one can commit evil without God bringing justice upon that evil. And he is also perfectly loving at the same time. So God must punish sin. It's what we would want if we were honest about it. We want other people to pay for their mistakes and for their wrongs, but we rarely want our wrongs. We rarely want to pay for our sin. So God is both just and loving. He punishes sin completely, and yet he punishes sin in his son. Jesus takes on the punishment, the wrath of God for our sin upon himself. He suffered so that we wouldn't have to suffer. He died so that we would live. That is why Jesus must suffer. What does that have to do with following Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us in the next part of the passage. So following the suffering, suffering Messiah, what does that look like? 
What does a suffering Messiah tell us about discipleship? Read with me at verse 34. It says, If anyone, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? If you look at this passage, it says in verse 34, let him deny himself. You would ask the question, what is, what is the self? What is the self? It literally means like psyche, or it means more than just your body. It means your whole being, your soul, your mind, your heart. It's your desires, your wishes, your hopes, your expectations. It's all of these things. We often hear the saying, we need to, uh, or we say, this is my cross to bear. It's, we might refer to something about a, a chronic illness that we have or uh, a temptation that doesn't go away. And we say, that's, our, that's my cross that I have to bear for Jesus. But that's not what we're saying and reading here. This is talking about giving up everything to Jesus. It's more than just taking a burden on. It's giving up our entire selves. It's saying, heaven is my destination. It's committing to Jesus. It's not losing your personality. It's not losing your gifts or your abilities or your uniqueness. It's losing your identity in the things of this world. It's laying down your identity in the things of this world. It's giving up the world's stuff, the world's desires to gain Christ. It's giving up the American dream. It's giving up certainty that you can protect your family. It's giving up your trust in money. It's giving up your dream of a nice car or a career that gives you a great reputation. If you gain all of these things, the world says you will be someone. You will be significant. Our culture says that you are nobody until you have a fulfilling career or money or reputation or status or achievements, whatever it might be. The list is very long. But it's never enough to make us believe that we are finally someone. If anything goes wrong with anything, if we lose our job or we lose our money, if we lose our reputation, and that's what our identity is built on, we'll fall apart. Our life will become, will fall into shambles. If your identity is in being a pastor like myself or a mother or a doctor, whatever it might be, whenever those things are taken away, again, your identity, if it's in those things, you will fall apart. Jesus says, give up your identity. That's found in these things. Give it all up and find a real identity, an identity in me that is lasting that is joyful, that is meaningful, and that can't be taken away.
Jesus, in coming to earth, as we read in the New Testament, gave up, in a way, he gave up his identity as the Son of God, coming to earth, taking on flesh. He, did, he didn't truly give it up, but he gave up the glory of being in heaven with this world so that we would have an identity in him. Jesus also teaches in this portion that if we're unwilling to give up our identity in this world and the things of this world, we'll lose it all either way. Or we'll lose it all if we do. What good is having all the glory of the world and losing your soul, Jesus says. What good is gaining everything you've ever wanted and losing yourself eternally, being eternally separated from God. We can ask the question then, if Jesus must suffer, we know why he must suffer because there is a debt for our sin against him. Why or how can we get to a place where we want to give up our lives for Jesus? How can we get to a place where we want to give up the world and trust Jesus for an identity in him? What could be worth this? I would say one way is we get there by seeing the incredible love of God for sinners who don't love him back. We give up everything to know the God of the universe who gave up everything to save you, to love you, to forgive you. Jesus put himself on the cross in your place. He took on the full wrath of God for our sin upon himself. He absorbed our debt. He took the suffering we deserve upon himself. He brought justice for our sin upon himself. And if you're loved like this and you understand the love of the Son of Man, of Jesus Christ, you'll give up everything for him. You will follow this Christ. A suffering Messiah means suffering disciples. And so has the world lured you back into an identity found in its promises? Have you strayed from the riches and the beauty that's found in Christ? And you, have you found comfort in what the world can promise you? Have you fallen prey to wanting to make something of yourself rather than being found in Christ? Are you going through the motions of Bible reading, of prayer, of going to church? Are you simply just doing these things out of habit? I read a story about a man who worked on rose bushes. I, I was reading a book from Paul Tripp, um, and you might have heard this story before because he said he's shared it a lot. But he simply gives this story of a person he knew who would spend hours every day pruning and moving and shaping his rose bushes. He would study roses. He would put his shows, his, put his roses, you know, he would exhibit them or, you know, he would just show his roses to everyone who was interested. He would spend all of his free time on his rose bushes and yet 
he didn't actually love his roses. He forgot how to enjoy the object of his devotion. Everyone loved his roses except him. And so one day he decided to sit and simply sit within the midst of his roses and look at them and admire them for the beauty that they have. And he remembered in that time why he was devoted to those roses in the first place. I give you that story because you may be in that place where it seems like the world and the desires of the world have shone brightly and you might have forgotten the glory and the beauty of Jesus and simply need to sit in front of your Savior. All of us can answer the question, which is, are we seeing our Savior dimly? Has the world been so impressed upon us that it's difficult to see our Savior? And we can all say yes. We can all say yes. And so Jesus calls us back to set our eyes upon him, the suffering Messiah, who from before all time, before all eternity, made a promise to suffer for you in your place. The Messiah must suffer because we have wronged him, and he loves us so much that he would take up the cross that we deserved and suffer for us, for our sin, to forgive us, to give us new life and a, and a new identity in him. This is a wonderful Savior. This is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you have been so good to us. You've given us your entire word, 66 books of the Bible, to show us how much you have loved us and have always loved us, and love us today. Lord, in your suffering, would you show us your grace and your love, and would you lead us in the example of your suffering so that we can now suffer for your sake, so that we could be courageous and bold, so that we would be encouraged even as we suffer. Lord, you love us, and we don't deserve your love, and so we are grateful and we are here standing in awe and in worship of you for your grace in the gospel. We thank you for your word and we pray that you would prepare us to enjoy the table that you've set before us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we prepare for the Lord's table with, uh, we'll sing hymn number 307, 307, and we'll sing verses 1, 2, and 3 to prepare. Hymn 307.
You may be seated. Please hear the words of institution from Luke 22. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. If you're a member of this church or another and in good standing, we would love for you to participate in this table. We often say um, that we often instruct you uh, to pass on this table, to pass on the bread and the juice as it comes by. If you don't understand this table, if you don't understand the bread and the juice, we ask you to please pass and write down some questions if you have some about this. But if you trust in Jesus, you know his love and forgiveness for you, this table is for you to experience that love and grace. Jesus suffered once and for all, and anyone who comes to him by faith and trusts him by faith is reborn, a child of God, is given new life, a new identity in Christ. Jesus must suffer because all forgiveness entails suffering. Our sin against God deserves his wrath, but Jesus absorbs the wrath of God against our sin. Instead of wrath, we receive righteousness. Instead of separation, we're united to Christ for all eternity. And with this table, we're reminded of this good news. And we're strengthened to take up the cross and to follow Christ to wherever he leads us. So be of good courage and lay down your life and take up Christ and experience his love and mercy for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this table, for these pictures of your love and your grace for us. And you are here spiritually with us, with us in this meal. So would you encourage and strengthen our hearts? Give us great faith to follow you boldly wherever you would take us. Would you leave us, would you help us to leave with hearts that are full of your love and knowing that you love us even though we are sinners? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, as I am ministering in his name, give this bread to you. And he said, take, eat, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The elders will now distribute the bread, and once everyone's been served, we'll eat together as one body.
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The body of Christ broken for you. Let's eat together. In the same manner, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he said... Um, He gave it to the disciples, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. And once again, the elders will pass out the juice, and when everyone's been served, we'll drink together.
He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's drink together. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you make this picture, these signs of your love, of your covenant with us, stick with us for this whole week? Would we be able to think back on how you have shown us not just told us, but you have shown us through this juice and through this bread how your body was broken, how your blood was spilled for our forgiveness so that we could be right with you and in communion with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand for the last two verses of hymn 307 as we close our service. Hymn 307. Receive the blessing of your God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.